Welcome. This is the TSMA Q3 event, the Making Chips podcast folks are here this morning. So we've got a great program for you. We've got three fantastic panelists. I think we're going to have a really lively and robust discussion this morning. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Tyler Stock. I'm the Executive Director of Talent at the Evansville Regional Economic Partnership. I am going to turn it over to Christopher Nolan. Chris is a Senior Manager for Total Productive Maintenance at AstraZeneca. He's going to kick off our official welcome this morning and share a little bit more about TSMA. So thank you all. Thank you, Tyler. Again, thank you everyone for coming. We're excited about the event and it's the second time we've had making chips in the area. So we look forward to hearing what they have to say today with our panelists. So a little bit about TSMA. So the goal is to work collaboratively to create a vibrant and attractive manufacturing environment in Southwest Indiana. So it's around Southwest Indiana. And then with results that improve revenue and profitability and increase in manufacturing sector jobs. So that last statement is huge on what we're doing here today, right? This is around manufacturing and we were gonna grow more on that. Without further ado, what we came to hear today, I introduce Jason Zinger and Nick Golner. If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metalworking Nation. This is Making Chips, where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts. Let's make some chips. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone. So good morning. Good morning and welcome to Making Chips. Jason and I are so thrilled and grateful to be here for the second time recording live with you today. So one of the things that we love doing the most is just talking with our peers, other manufacturing leaders, just like us, both of us, multi-generational manufacturing business owners. Yeah. I lead sales and marketing. He's the president of his business. And we get to learn from great manufacturing leaders like we have here today. Yeah, exactly. Which is amazing. So very excited to do that. Yeah. So can I take off my shirt? Do you mind? I don't mind. I just don't understand what you're doing. Well, here, I'll show you. So I love this shirt. I don't know if you all have seen this. Uh Uh-oh. I thought this was supposed to be on my t-shirt, but let me switch this around a little bit. I'm ready for the big reveal here, right? I'm just glad he's got a shirt on underneath. Yeah, there we go. Okay, so manufacturing leader. One of the things I love about this t-shirt is that it really boldly represents who we are here in the room. And you can be a manufacturing leader whether you have t-shirt and gym shoes on or whether you're dressed in, I don't know, what do you call this, Nick? I'm not quite sure. I look like a guy who's trying to sell insurance. A CPA? Yeah, you're not a CPA, but you look like one. (laughs) Yeah, and we're excited today to focus on lean leadership. So the strategic leadership that we need to offer as manufacturing leaders to develop a lean culture. That's going to be the focus of today. Yeah, absolutely. And I love talking about strategy, missions. We talked about the purpose statement of the TSMA. And our mission at Making Chips has always been to equip and inspire manufacturing leaders. And what I would encourage everybody here, I know the TSMA was talking about their steering committee related to that, is keep it simple. Like our mission to equip and inspire manufacturing leaders. It has been that way for almost 10 years that we've been doing this podcast. And that's one of the things that I love about it. And if you could, Dylan, if you could put the TSMA, there we go, the purpose statement up there. So I'm just going to read that again, because I think it works well with what we're talking about today, which is what, Nick, like strategic leadership through lean lean manufacturing. Thank you. So the purpose statement of the TSMA to work collaboratively, that's a tough word to say. You got it. Yeah, I know. I I did it well. (laughs) To create a vibrant and attractive manufacturing environment 
in Southwest Indiana that results in improved revenue and profitability and an increase in manufacturing sector jobs. What sticks out to you in that? Yeah, first I mean statement? that only achievable with a lean culture. Yeah, absolutely. And it also reminds me of the way we sign off our podcast. Bingo. So we end every episode with, if you're not making chips, you're not making money. And that's important because as businesses, we're here to run profitable business. It shouldn't be as like narrow-minded as just making money, but we have to run profitable business. And lean culture has to do with running those profitable business, being able to give back to our people and our communities and everything. So lean is one of these words that's tossed around all the time and nobody really knows exactly what it means, it seems like. I certainly don't. So if I were to say lean, Jason, what does that mean? Okay, so the first thing that I think about is taking out the trash. Is that your wife's definition of Well, lean I mean, like, we definitely run a lean family environment, too, <laughs> and taking out the trash is important to that. But I think you're getting at, like, eliminating waste. Eliminating waste, exactly. Yeah, that's one component of it. Yeah. And so I'm blessed to have an older brother who's the president of our company, and... That's he, all he thinks about. He's, like, a lean guy. Yeah. I mean, his whole background, everything he learned was all about lean. His definition, I really like, it's maximizing the flow of value through your business to your customer. Okay. So we want to have a rushing river of customer centric through our business to our customer, not a bunch of kinked hoses where there's a little bit dripping out at the end after it gets through your wasteful, disorganized organization. So absolutely. So enough about us and lean because we are not the experts. How about we bring on the experts? Yeah. Yeah. We'll introduce our guests and then we just want to open it up to anyone in the crowd. Uh, One of the guys over there was saying, Hey, look, there's probably more experts in the audience than on stage. And so we tend to to agree with that. Just doing our podcast, we learn more from our guests than we do teaching. Oh, podcast. no doubt about so, it. That's one of the things I love about the podcast. So if you have something to add, if you have a question, just raise your hand. There's a mic stand right in the middle. There's a mic stand, but no mic. So eventually there will there, be a mic there over there. There's yeah. a mic. Okay. So we're going to have a mic. So if you have a question or if we ask a question and you're like, I got something hot that I really want to bring to the conversation, please raise your hand. I think that there's going to be a couple of folks that are going to be looking out for you. So we would love to just have a little bit of interaction with the rest of the crowd, because like Nick said, you all are probably more experts than who we have up on stage by their own admission. So. Yeah, right. Absolutely. So let's, let's introduce, let's introduce our, our guests. Yeah. Go ahead. So our first guest is Doug Bowell from Jasper Engines and Transmission. So come on up, Doug. Have a seat. Our next guest is Femi Deetti, who's the general manager of AstraZeneca. And then our last guest, hey, welcome. Welcome. Our yep. last guest is Jake Ward. I think this is the second time we've dragged you up here. So <laughs> excited to have you again. It's becoming from, a making uh, chips veteran. The VP of manufacturing from Anchor Industries. Welcome, Femi. Nice to see you again, Jake. Good you yeah, good to see you. All right. Have a seat, gentlemen. Yeah, so have a seat, guys. And I think we'll start. We'll just start with you, Doug. Give each of us just one or two minutes on who you are, your role, like what you do here. Looking around the room, I think I'm the oldest one here. I've been in with Jasper for the last 48 years. I started on the shop floor when I graduated from the University of Evansville. I knew the founder of the company, and my story was when I graduated from college, he asked me to become part owner of his dealership. I loved one of the partners, but the third partner I didn't really care for. And so I wanted to go to Stanford and get my JD degree. For some reason, Stanford did not see in me what I saw in me. I didn't get accepted. They were missing out. I think so. (laughs) But I did get accepted at Northwestern. Hey, that's my, I went there too. So there you go. So I went to the owner of the dealership and shared with him that I was going to be leaving and pursuing a degree in law. And he said, hey, give me one year of your life at Jasper Engine. If you want to leave, then you can leave. And I said, okay. 
And so I started on the shop floor. I spent about seven, eight months and their advertising manager left and they asked if I'd fill in there. And then they moved me into sales and I kept moving around. And finally, in 1987, a group of us purchased a company from the founder. There were really two families, the Schwanks and the Bobbles. And we ran the company up. And in about 2001, we had big money trying to buy us. And it just didn't feel right. And I was still pretty young and still pretty cocky. But I knew that we had to think about a strategic plan. So as we continued and some of my partners were getting a little bit up in age, in 2010, we became a 100% ESOP company. It was March the 2nd of 2010 at 6.30 in the morning. We make the announcement. There's 400 people in front of me. We're live streaming it to our other operations. And nobody clapped. Mm. No hugs, no texts, no You nothing. just got done telling them they were owners. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> nobody understood back then what an right. e-shop was. And fast forward then, 30 days later, they get a nice letter that says each one of them has roughly 30 shares of stock and it has a whopping price of $2.30. So the average person got $66. They didn't text me. They didn't give any fist bumps, no hugs or whatever. <laughs> And last year, we were $847, and we've given away $447 million of wow. stock Good since two. I'll clap for you. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's great. And we've talked about ESOPs on Making Chips. We've had some guests, and I would love to dive into that more. So we might have to come back yeah, to you at a later time. Yeah, episodes, you've talked about almost everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we might have to come back to you on that. All right. So, All right. Uh, Femi, Femi. Uh, share your story. Absolutely. So my name is Femi Dietti and I work for AstraZeneca. I've been with AstraZeneca now for just over 12 years. As you can tell from my accent, I'm not from around here. I'm British. And my career with AstraZeneca has spanned a number of roles, so global, regional and site roles. So this is the second operation sort of site that I'm leading within AstraZeneca. Prior to AstraZeneca, I worked in the consumer goods industry. So I worked for a couple of well-known consumer goods companies. Again, in the UK. My career has taken me to a number of countries. So I've worked in Mexico, I've worked in Germany, I'm now here in sunny Indiana. So far the best place I've been, to be honest with you. For me, when I think about just my career to date and why I'm with AstraZeneca, it's very simple because what we do does matter. We save lives. We make medicines that people take and helps improve people's lives. And one of the motives that I have, and it's very, very simple, is we want to make sure that no patient that takes any of our medicines ever has to go without our medicines. So I'm somebody that has been at the receiving end of a supply chain where a medicine that I needed, this is many years ago, wasn't available mm -hmm. and it wasn't a nice feeling. So what we do matters and hence that's why I'm very much committed to this industry. That's great, I love that because that's what gets you up in the morning, that's what gets you going is to make sure that everybody who can get the medicine that they want when they want it. And I literally was just dealing with this with my own father who had a really bad allergic reaction and couldn't find something very simple. So this is a very real thing. De definitely, I'm sure, drives you on a daily basis. That's absolutely. great. And talking about supply chain, I mean, that's your world. Yeah, right? yeah, so, absolutely. He's an industrial yeah. cooling supplier. Exactly. So we've all seen the supply chain become insane with mm -hmm. COVID and everything. Let me ask you one more question sure. real quick. As a British person. Is it football, cricket, and which team do you support? <laughs> so it's soccer. Yeah. Oh, all right. Wow. Yeah, I'm surprised uh, you went there. Yeah. And I support Manchester United. Oh, oh. man. I would fist bump you, but I'm in a Liverpool fan. <laughs> oh, no. So now we can. Bye-bye. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> He's leaving. Good job, Nick. Yeah. All right, Jake. How about you? 
Yeah, so I grew up in Appalachia, and the only way up was out. It was either continue to carry a chainsaw through the woods for my dad, cutting down trees, or go into the coal mine industry. And I chose to join the United States Navy. So I had the pleasure of serving in the world's greatest Navy for 20 years. After retirement, I started working for a small tool shop. And I kind of joke with these guys, that's how I found them, mm -hmm. as I was uh, not a tool and die guy. Always seems to be the theme. As I say, I'm not a lean guy. I wasn't a tool and die. Guy. So I started Googling any kind of information and then I looked up a podcast, Tool and Die Filmmaking Chips. So that was the conversations that I went in when I was calling on customers all the time. Whatever the topic of the day was, that was what I was trying to talk about. So even though some of it was there, like, what are you talking about? But it worked for me and it was great. So after being in the tool and die industry for approximately five years, I had an opportunity. It was a consultative opportunity that was great that came along with the Purdue MEP, which some of you guys are familiar with a supported manufacturing throughout the state of Indiana. So I did that and wasn't long after serving on the MEP team that I just was feeling my purpose was not fulfilled, right? And just a real desire to get back in and to serve. I'd served in the United States Navy, but really the greater purpose, I'd had phenomenal leaders that helped grow me. And I really grew up in the Navy and I had phenomenal leaders when I started there. He really was a broken kid, but jerked me through a lot of knot holes and folks who invested me and poured into me. And the only thing I could do then was to return that and was to give back, right? And then do the same. And just a real burning desire to want to go in and serve and continue to serve. And it's a, from a selfless perspective. So I jumped back into the mix. And that's what took me to Anchor Industries. It's been a blessing. The time I was there, we make most, it's a 130-year-old company that's been around. It's a staple in this community. We say what we do matters. It's funny that you say that. We also protect lives under our shelters and throughout the world, really. And we're at the border and all from making fire shelters to shelters that go over your head. And so, really cool industry and like i said it's a, been a blessing so yeah thanks great yeah, i love that jason i don't think there's anything more rewarding than we've got a few stories of people who are kind of new to the industry or new to machining mm -hmm. and they like learned the terms learned the language learned yep. from us these two goofballs and the guests mm -hmm. that we brought on yeah so absolutely it's really really cool to hear that yeah it is neat. i love that thank you all right so let's get into lean i want to go back to the back to the beginning and Let's talk about like culture, having a lean culture. What do you think is the most important factor when introducing lean into your culture? So let's say for companies out there that maybe don't have a lean culture, they don't talk about lean. What is gonna be the most important thing for them to introduce lean into their culture, both manufacturing and I guess the non-manufacturing culture? From my perspective, because I wouldn't say I was a lean guy, in the Navy, I took green belt course, I took a yellow belt course, and we tried to understand some of the principles, things like that, but I wouldn't say we were, didn't call us lean. But then going into an organization that started their journey in 2008, and when I arrived in 2020, they were well on their journey, right? So I wasn't there at the introduction, but I do have perspective of like some of these principles of living it every day, I got to experience. And I think the biggest thing is just having the courage to to fail right and you have to be willing to fail and it's tough for someone who you want to have all the answers as a leader right you want to be able to go and provide answers but at the end of the day the people who have the answers are out there on that shop floor just like i said the people who have the answers are sitting right out here today right and just having the courage you you don't know everything so don't act like you do and go talk to the people who do know so, okay. so i heard asking questions taking chances, making sure that you're relying on the people that are there on the shop floor on a day-to-day -day basis. Absolutely. 
Let me build on that. If I may, yeah. great answer. And I agree entirely with everything that you just said. I'll just build on that and say that I think to build a, a lean culture, you need to also make sure that your organization is ready for it. So meaning you have to have the right mindset okay. and also appreciate that it's a journey. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. It's a journey. When I think about the AstraZeneca journey, it's, I think it's been over 20 years since we've been talking about lean and we're still talking about lean. In terms of culture, I like the way that you put it. I would say one of the things that we as leaders can do a lot more of and do better is the role model, the culture that we want to see. Mm. And I keep saying I agree with everything you said because I do, because you talked about leadership as well. And the job of a leader in my view, is to create more leaders. So hence the role modeling is so key and fundamental to enhancing any culture that you want to have in your Were you there when AstraZeneca started talking about lean? I was there when we had a different version of what we call lean. So yeah. we called it manufacturing excellence. And we had a go at that. And the culture didn't really get to where we wanted it to get to. So what we did do and what changed this for me was we actually made lean one of our strategic priorities. Okay. And that elevated it. And we even started to use words like it was part of our license to operate, being lean. Yeah. And that really just galvanized more leadership to get on board. So like I said, again, it's about if your leaders are bought into something, then there's a good chance that it will get executed through the organization. It sounds like maybe it almost became like a value of the organization. And that's kind of when it tipped the scales into really taking hold of the organization. I like what he said about your job is to create more leaders. Yeah. And so we talk about like lean coaches in our organization. Mm -hmm. And so you have like a coach and the learner, but then you also have coaches creating other coaches. And so one of the keys to that is like not just giving the answer and saying, here's what yeah. to do, but to like, don't deprive the person of the learning experience. Yeah. And so that once you get yeah. to like the coach teaching a coach, you're focusing on that type of stuff. Well, and that goes back to what Jake said about failing. So you can't deprive them of that failure. It's kind of like when you're raising kids, it's like you got to let them make stupid yeah, it's mistakes like easier sometimes. To just do it yourself. <laughs> just like, don't let them make a mistake that's going to it's going to be a problem with the mission of the company. You know what I mean? You got to like When I you cook know, breakfast, my daughter is like, "Oh, can I help?" And yeah. I just want to do it for her cuz yeah. it would take twice as long, but then I would just be You need to stop her. short of her sticking her hand in the burner, you know? <laughs> yeah, so exactly. exactly. <laughs> Anything to add on that? We've been on our journey for 22 years, and my partner and I read a book of Ellie Goldratt. I think the title was The, the Goal. Goal. The okay. Goal. It's a great book. It, and, yeah, uh, that was required learning when I got my MBA, yeah. so yeah. So I reached out to Ellie, and I said, yeah, this sounds intriguing. I don't know if I really buy everything, but I'd like to learn more, and we'd like to hire you. He said, well, you can't afford me, but, but I've got <laughs> two friends of mine that would work with you. And one was Shlomo Haviv, and we brought him in, and I was just mesmerized. And so we're with Shlomo for a number of years, and we really made some great gains. And Don Wedekam, who was a three-star general that I worked with in the Air Force, we became good friends. And he came in, and I, I was so just excited to show him all the improvements we made. And we walked through, and I'm just going crazy. And I said, what do you think? You're still a toddler. <laughs> you need more help. So we've gone through three consultants. We've got everybody back at that table, plus Sarah has been through various lean events. we got three wonderful coaches back there. Where I really got into it was on continuous improvement ideas. And we did it for a couple of years, and we didn't implement very much stuff. So my people know I have a very sharp fuse, and so that's it. I want to see every idea that you turn down. I don't care what you implement. I want to see ideas that are turned down. And I'd read them and I'd call the general manager and said, why is this a bad idea? Doug, it's really not going to move the needle. 
I said, let me ask you something. When your child starts to walk, do you say, you stupid kid, walk right. You're stumbling, you're falling. You take pictures, you post it on Facebook, you make a big deal. So under the Jasper brand, we have over 16,000 continuous improvement ideas every year. But what excites me, we implement 85% plus of the ideas. There's lots of ideas that are very, very minuscule, but if Johnny or Susie gets encouraged, then they are going to put a bigger idea in. But it's not a destination. It's a journey, and our people will tell you that a lot of times I say, okay, let's go back and make sure we can maintain those standards we put in place. We do things in an area, and we're all excited, we have a, a call out, and everybody's clapping. And, ah! What about in six months? Has it been maintained? And it's so easy. I use this story. As a kid growing up, we didn't have air conditioning. In August of each year, we would be canning green beans like crazy. And for those of you that ever canned green beans, the steam is in the kitchen. And And mom and grandma would always tell me, okay, when you carry them downstairs, make sure you take the green beans from last year and you bring them forward and put these green beans behind. (laughs) There's 23 quarts of green beans left from last year. Do we really need to can this mud? You weren't here for the Great Depression. (laughs) I wasn't. But in manufacturing, that's how we all did it, right? We just kept producing more stuff. And finally, one day, we had a snow day, and only about half the people were there. And I'm walking through the plant checking, and one of our lead people said, Doug, I finally got it. I sent two of my people over to help another department. We don't need more crankshafts. We need to get the box machine. Mm -hmm. And I'm like... It's helping. It's finally starting to click of what it's all about. That's one of the forms of waste, carrying too much inventory. Exactly. Yeah. And it also sounds like when you were talking that it's all those little things, those little initiatives that you stack those up that makes a big Cardboard duct tape. Yeah. Pencil it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, little things like shadow boards or if my process goes to your process and we just move our desks closer together, like little incremental improvements mm-hmm. go a long way after time. And it's in, you also mentioned bringing in an expert, bringing in a consultant. And that was one of the triggering points for introducing lean into your culture. So let's talk about, I think, everybody's biggest problem, bringing in talent. It seems like no matter what industry, no matter what country, what sector, everybody's got the same biggest problem right now. There's just not enough talent. And we think about like, okay, well, how do we motivate people not only to get into industrial manufacturing trades, but also to become productive employees and future leaders. One of the things that comes to mind is gamification. This is another buzzword. It really resonates with the millennials and people who grew up playing games. And to me, it's all about having a target, having a goal, knowing how to get to the next level, if you will. So what are your thoughts on the gamification concept and making sure that everyone in your org organization has a way to win the day, a way to win that shift, and a way to win a week, win a month, win a year, and create that kind of game-like environment. I don't think we do a good enough job of it. I still have the wonderful opportunity of teaching our culture class. It's a one-hour meeting after people have been there roughly one week to six weeks. And one of the things I share with them is 50% of you will not be here at the end of the first 90 days. Not because you can't do the job, but because of attendance. If you don't like us, leave. I mean, we put people through a work conditioning program. The first thing they have to do for the first several weeks is go down and we have an instructor that teaches them. We stretch every morning. I think we parents have done a little bit of a disservice to our children. When I grew up, everybody had a job. Every teenager had a job. Well, you're in sports or you're in band. Yeah, but you still had a job. And so many of us have said to our kids, well, it's okay. You can work later. When I turned 18, I had three choices. Go to college, join the military, or move out of the house. Staying home with mom and dad was not a choice. 
But we've allowed this to happen, and we've got a real issue in America today where people think it's okay to live off the government. I do think that they need to know the score. Another great book. My little granddaughter came up to me five years ago. She was six at the time, and she said, Papa, they don't want us to keep score. I will come over at the end of every quarter and tell you what the score is. I know you can't see real well. <laughs> come on. That's part of life. Well, I think what that proves is that it's innate in us to compete. You know what I mean? To compete with each other. I mean, this goes back thousands of years. Yeah, either where... compete with each other or compete with yourself. Yeah. Try it... to beat your own score. Yeah. So, I mean, what your granddaughter proved is that that was in her and people want to know that. And I think that also goes back to the culture of your company. And it's like, are you pushing your people to measure some kind of progress in their lead manufacturing? Do they manufacturing? know the score? Yeah. Do they, they know, know the, the score? score every day. Yeah. And you got to tell them the good stuff and the bad stuff. Right. We have a quarterly meeting where we review safety, quality, productivity, customer service, and there's a quarterly bonus. And in last quarter, it was terrible. Five of the seven divisions got nixed because of their quality. So is that how you measure? Yeah, every day. I mean, not specifically lean, but you're measuring. But lean. what I love about that, it's an objective, performance-based right. measurement that actually ties to compensation. Mm -hmm. A lot of times people talk about gamification, but they don't tie it to, we all go to work to get paid, right? Yeah. So mm -hmm. if you perform better, if you create results for your business, there should be something in it for you. Absolutely. Do you yeah. gave a fire measure at AstraZeneca? Absolutely. Said so. For us, two things. First of all, the goal. Great book. I've read it multiple times. Yeah. Fantastic book. A couple of things. So yes, we do, and we have, I guess, a way of making things work so that our strategic objectives can be translated down to what it means for everybody on the shop floor every day. So that's from the very top of the organization to what it means to you. Mm -hmm. So we have something called a tier process, and so it's a daily meeting that is had at multiple levels throughout the organization. And I actually own a weekly tier meeting, and at the end of the day, everyone should know what their target is and what we're trying to achieve and we have some instances where it does become competitive like for example we have a number of packing lines and if a packing line can churn out the highest volume ever you know on one ship then the next ship will come in and say wait a second we can do better so it's things like that so yes we do gamify in that context and then just come back to your original point and question where you asked that you talked about attracting people mm -hmm. especially in the lean space i would say that for us we have a very good sort of process for or bringing new talent into the organization, but it all does hang off our values. So if you are someone that is aligned to the values of the organization, you can demonstrate that, then we will be the right fit for you. And once you're in, there are many opportunities to grow within. You know what uh, jumped out to me is, and I looked at him and smiled right when you said the tiered management. Yeah. We're implementing something just like that, where there's level one, level two, and level yeah. three, and yeah. everybody's got a target. Yeah. If we're off target in level one, it gets escalated to level two. And if we can't solve it there, it might all, go all the way up to level three. Like to your point where there was a bunch of divisions where there was some quality challenges or yeah. whatever it was. If they can't solve it there, it gets escalated up and then once more. Or we could have a challenge up here that maybe gets cascaded down yeah. a few layers. But you definitely give them the opportunity to solve Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Let me make one other point about it's also very important as a lean leader to not manage for results, but to manage through your methods. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And there's a, there's a difference there because the results will be the outcome. So you're always looking to sharpen the, the saw. You're always looking to improve on your processes. So you're not necessarily managing for a result. You're managing a process that's going to produce. Are you talking about your leading versus your lagging indicator? So you can't force the lagging indicator. You have to be focusing on the lead, which is what's yeah. going to result in that. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
pop culture. We do what's called war walk around every day, and it bubbles all the way up to the president of the company. But we've been doing this for some time, and I was headed to the airport to catch a flight, stopped at a convenience store, and I ran into one of our guys. And I said, hey, how was today? It sucked. He said, we had a problem with that crankshaft grinder for the third day in a row. I thought, really? I said, tell me more about that. So I might get in the car. I called the president. And I said, did you know that you've got a crankshaft grinder down three days in a row? No. The system's not working. People should feel <laughs> part of sharing those problems. It's okay to have a problem. But let's figure out how we're going to fix that specific problem. The youngest son joined us. He's an industrial engineer, and he happened to be on a product launch, and we're having a real problem with the product. And for six months, we chased our tail, couldn't find anything. And finally, we found out what the problem was. And it was a supplier had made a change in a part. They didn't tell us. It was numbered the same. They went to a different vendor, totally against the contract. And that's about following that process. And we're beat up the supplier. I finally had to get involved. We finally got it negotiated. But those are things that you got to share throughout your organization. Here's an example of someone not following the process, and it costs us a couple million dollars. But more importantly, it costs six months of sending out bad products, and we didn't know what the problem was. Mm -hmm. you know, we kept fixing it, but it didn't fix it long term. And, and share those things with your people. That make them feel part of that process. At Anchor, we also have the Tier 1, Tier 2, Tier 3 process, and those are meetings that happen every day. The Tier 1 happens every morning. It's a start of shift at 6.30 a.m. Then the Tier 2, shortly after that, the leaders from the Tier 1 go to the Tier 2 to report out to the leadership that's going to be in the Tier 3 that has a meeting. And that has really excited because it's gotten so much better than it used to be. When I got there at Anchor, the Tier 1s were really almost kind of wall art right? So the scoreboard's there. People want to win. But what happens is, is there's not engagement in that, right? So we put a real effort into the delivery of even that message, right? That tier one. So we brought every single leader that is leading a line into our training center we, in a week process. It was a pour in every day for an hour and spent time with a group. And we focused on their delivery of that tier one board, right? So we have all the scoreboard up there. We have the numbers. We have the long, but if you're not engaging your people in it, you're not engaging the team in it, then it's really useless, right? So we were trying to create good conversations and really pouring into that level, at that tier one level, that first line leader, and even in their delivery and how they're engaging their people. And there's a lot of factors in that of how they're showing up. And it could be tough to every day be on your A game. And we all fail at that, but we make sure we're communicating that we're just like you, right? But anyway, that has been really powerful for us, kind of taking a step back, re-engaging it on how they're engaging at every level. And it's making such a huge impact throughout our organization on how we're driving our lean culture, but as well as just how people are showing up, all these stakeholders are feeling part of it. So I think that's important. You have your visual controls, like so you've got your dashboards and drawing that back to a game. Like you always know how much health your character has or what your score is, how many coins you have or whatever. And so when you have like top down visual controls and it's like, hey, we should use dashboards and we put them in a, every cell or every department and then they just sit there like wall art, like you said. Yeah. And then it's totally different when it's like they're aware of it, looking at it. Ours are red when you're off target, green when you're on. So you can just walk by and look at the color and see the areas where we're winning and, and areas where we're losing. And you just feel it when it's them owning it instead of us setting up screens and dashboards and hoping they'll own it. Hey, Metalworking Nation, Jason Zenger here. We decided to split this live event into two episodes, so stay tuned for part two coming soon.